we could do. We could do like the Fraud Bros occasional episode, you know? So, yeah. and then we just, we just talk fraud. So, hey everybody, um, welcome to a impromptu episode of the Fraud Boxer podcast where uh, Alexander and I are just going to fraud bro out and just talk about fraud, talk about our lives, kind of like a... Um, like a morning show style is, is what I'm picturing in my head in some way. But basically, you you texted me yesterday. I was golfing. You said you got your internet um, back up. So I said, let's record something just off the cuff. No notes, no nothing. Because I think you and I are capable. So how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. The last few months have been uh, hectic. And, and like you mentioned, the internet situation, uh, I wasn't too pleased with a certain carrier's performance yeah. they but, are uh, uh, in our circle so we can't name and shame too much <laughs> <laughs> so um no everything's back up and running uh i moved to arizona had no ac for a week and a half but that How? got fixed a couple of days ago and just so everybody knows the time that we're recording this because i don't know when we're going to finally release this episode but the time we're recording this is when the whole world is like in this massive heat wave um la you know we've just had like the 90s all week after the hurricane coming through but you guys in arizona because you're in like the phoenix metropolitan area we're talking 114 degrees plus over there right now like that's the a day, lot the day we moved here for if you went back 45 days you would have found that we were breaking heat records uh i think it was 15 or 16 times and this is this is the desert that we're breaking records in so yeah not fun yeah. Okay. So I'm just, I'm, I'm running this like the Joe Harris experience over here. So I'm going to Google things live on from time to time. So I just looked up your weather over there. It's sitting at a balmy 85, which is not too bad. You know, we're, we're going to be about 80 today, but it looks like you have some rain in the forecast for today with peaking out at 92, which is, that's got to be damn near cold for you guys. You guys might be putting jackets on. It is. My dad and I were just talking about it. I went outside on the balcony. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is tolerable. So now I have AC. At a time when I didn't need AC. Yeah. So how did you survive? I'm curious how you survived. Like, what'd you do? I didn't. I, it was a it was a sweat lodge, man. I had uh, I had realizations and reflections, interscopic journeys. Had the whole nine, man. Wow, dude, that's that's just a lot on there. Um, you know, it's funny because like I had I had texted you a couple months ago because I've been possibly entertaining the idea of relocating to Las Vegas. Um, been trying to buy some houses here in Los Angeles over the summer, which is like literally the worst time to buy houses. Um, had an offer accepted at a place, loved it. It was massive, um, but it failed like every inspection on demand. It had a septic tank, which is super rare in LA. And they wanted like about $40,000, a septic guy said, to make it like work. And it was kind of leaking under the foundation of this house. Um, so I was kind of bummed about that. So I pulled my offer there, but I've been putting other offers in on other houses and either I get outbid or there's some sketchiness. Like this one I have an offer on right now. It hasn't been accepted yet, but it's been out for two weeks and it's got everything I want because like I, I require a pool and I require working AC and I would prefer it to be remodeled. I'll do a little bit myself. Um, and I kind of want it to be in a certain particular area of Orange County that I live in, but they won't let anybody see the house. Like they just, they have these pictures up that look super fake staged. They won't let anybody see the house. They said they could put an offer in contingent on uh, inspection. And so I did, and I just put it in $100 over their asking price, which is almost a million dollars. So that, that's the kind of stuff we have to deal with here in LA. But like, I have a problem with not being able to see this house that I potentially could pay a million dollars for. And then I just got word this week that we're going to be able to look at it because the tenants have vacated all of a sudden. But the other, the other part is this is the third time that this house has sold in three years. So something's wrong something's up and and this is like my last one like if basically if, if this house doesn't work out 
I'm probably going to start putting offers in on these Las Vegas houses that I've been looking at. So any words of advice? Because so I'm looking at that. I believe it's the Southeast area of, of Las Vegas. Um, I guess, what do they call it? Summerland? Um, Summerland is straight West. So I'm telling you, I'm going to, I'll show, I don't know if I show where it goes on here. So Spring Valley in Rhodes Ranch, Sovana. Does that mean anything to you? Yes, sir. Yes, that's a good area. Is it? Because it's yes. all HOA um, brown houses and I was going to buy an HOA brown house. <laughs> True. I mean, run with it, man. That's a good area. It's off the beaten path. Everything's accessible within 10 to 15 minutes on the 215. Man, yeah. And that's what, like... And that's what like I want is I want to be able to get to the airport in 15 minutes without traffic. You know, I, I plan there's going to be traffic, but it's not going to be like LA traffic. Like I'm, I'm used to the traffic Armageddon, but like in the evening, if I wanted to go, you know, I could probably make it to the airport. That airport's reasonably easy to get in and out of reasonably easy to, to get to your gate through everything. Um, it smells funky, but that's because it's like old school carpet and like they still let people smoke in there. So that is what it is. But also, so like my criteria for having a city is I need access to really good food. Like I love really good food. And if the coastal places typically are the ones that get the Michelin stars, inland places don't typically get them. But Las Vegas is an exception where they have world-class food because it's the destination. And also on top of like the world-class food, I want to be able to get DoorDash decent food too. And I feel like I can get that there. And I'm really big into golf and I golf about once a week right now. Uh, that's my new huge thing. And I want awesome golf courses, which they have. And the airport there, like they have the most direct flights like everywhere. Like you can get a direct flight almost anywhere out of Vegas because everybody's going to Vegas. So I feel like I'm pretty well locked and loaded on that. I mean, do you have any, you, you, you live there. Tell me what your thoughts were. I guess I took that part for granted. I thought every airport flew the same. That's crazy. Well, wait till you start saying Sky Harbor, man. You're going to be hooking through Denver a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right um no dude everything that you said is 100 percent, bro like we have top top of the line sushi which which I love. doesn't necessarily exist everywhere you know it's not everyone it does not <laughs> is, um sushi's my go-to steak gordon ramsay i think has eight establishments down there i was lucky enough to uh to go along with our friends from ocr labs to a dinner at uh the gordon ramsay steakhouse and i think it was at the paris delicious and amazing um food entertainment yeah I, i'll tell you the travel time to the ho to the airport from the 215 durango area which is kind of what you just okay. described yeah i'm looking at it here on the map it's right where that bend on the southwest yeah that, that's where i've been targeting is that elbow right there on the, the bruce Wood woodbury beltway right by the yes, ikea there's an ikea yes, over there <laughs> yeah run it um that gets you everywhere and the 215 unlike the 95 the 215 gets you straight to the airport Dude, you leave an hour oh, and a yeah, half huh. before you need to be on your flight and you're there. So, like, you're good. You you said sushi so many times. I'm literally ordering DoorDash right now. <laughs> <laughs> I found my sushi it. spot here in Phoenix, too. It's I guess it's on the cusp of uh, Scottsdale. Delicious. Scottsdale's a nice area. Was it, what, what is it? Is it raw? No. Um, I don't remember what it's called. I just know where it is. My, my uh, One of my friends, London, she... Uh, she lives and she's always lived in Phoenix for almost her whole life. Um, but she, I went and met her there years ago and we went to the raw sushi. We have raw sushi here in LA. It's his RA. Um, yeah. But the ones in LA kind of get a bad rap, especially more recently. I think since COVID 
but the one there was was superb when I went there and met her there. Nice. I'll have to check it out. Just that's like in Scottsdale proper. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So let's talk fraud. I am um, going through a rebrand on my my stuff today. Uh, I've got the logos back from the graphics artist, as you saw, bright green. I love me some green. Keeping the purple to keep with the um, the the usual idea, the branding. You know, we got to have a little bit of continuity on there. Um, but I wanted the old timey radio look, so she did a really good job of making like the glove kind of like a a microphone. Yeah, yeah. Was my was my idea, by the way. But she did a really good job of taking my ideas and making it um, look really like that old fifties radio broadcast, but in the spirit of what my brand is. And my brand is talking fraud. And you and I are two bros talking fraud. That now you live in the wonderful world of Phoenix. And could you tell the people why you moved to Phoenix, possibly, and what that means? And then let's talk about fraud and what that what you guys are seeing. Absolutely. So it was a personal decision. Uh, my wife accepted, a, or my ex-wife accepted a position in Scottsdale. She's over at Club Tattoo. So if any of you locals want to go get some amazing artwork placed on your body, head on over. Her name's Michelle. And um, when she took the job, <clears throat> it kind of threw everything up in the air. Are we going to do split time with my daughter? Are we going to yeah. do one year on, one year off, and all this different things? So I just said, you know what? I work remotely. I could work from Thailand if I wanted to. I'll just move along, right? And so in an effort to keep our family together, we, uh, we all moved out here, moved into one house for about a oh. month until I could figure out what it was that I was doing. And now I've done what I'm doing, and everything's good. You guys have maintained a pretty positive relationship for for your daughter right for the most part yes i make a conscious effort to um only speak highly of my ex and to hug my ex when we're together and make sure that that kinley is respecting my uh, her mother and every opportunity yeah. i have yes yeah if, for anybody that does like follow you on social media too like they know that your your daughter is your whole entire world your reason for existence anybody that's been on any of your um your presentations, like people, I think I, I've been in multiple of yours and everybody always asks like, what made you change? And you always say I had a daughter and yeah. I needed to, I needed to, to be serious. So, yes, yeah. Sir. Um, so what, so what do you, what do you see and what are you working on these days? What's going on in the, in the world of, of fraud in your house these days? So, um, I'm taking a, we've heard about the holistic approach when it comes to one platform. And we've heard about the holistic approach as it applies to technology and where it might sit. I'm trying to take the holistic approach as it pertains to the entire marketplace and see where I can help. Okay. The thing that I see as missing is clarity. We know that our goal is to fight fraud, but we don't quite collectively. There are, there are amazing, amazing minds out there just like you and uh, my, my, the, the founder of uh, Approved Corwin and uh, all of our friends, right? There's amazing minds out there, but collectively over the whole expanse of the marketplace, we don't have clarity, right? And it's hard to get clarity because we're dealing with so many different variables. We're dealing with so many different tactics that fraudsters are throwing at us. And so my, my primary focus is to work with people so that they can gain clarity as to where their exposure is, where their vulnerabilities might be, what they have currently in place. And with that initiative being placed uh, on my desk, we'll say, I'm, I'm moving forward with assessments and trainings that I offer okay. different organizations. So is that, is that stuff that you're doing on your own or is that part of approved? Okay. This is part of the dispute defense then, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Excellent. Yeah. I think like when you and I talked back in, in March, you know, we, we 
we made it a top a, a big topic of discussion to talk about um education piece and like what what that looked like um as our predictions for what 2023 and i think that we um we were right on a lot because you see the education coming out and we specifically talked about zell at that time and you see the education coming out around like protecting yourself from scams you know like the, the whole pig butchering thing is 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 on the news now um the zell scams like the the regular zell scams are, are on the news now like the sending the money um and then oh oh my gosh i sent the wrong person can you refund blah 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 blah, blah you know all those sorts of scams are, are are on the news so people are becoming aware of it and the banks are sending out these individual emails to say what to be aware of you know and the same thing with like irs like don't buy gift cards we're never going to ask you to buy gift cards you know like the the that's when we talk about education we that's kind of like that is included in that is educating consumers too about what they could potentially be victims of but with your stuff i'm assuming it's it's doing these assessments and giving education around like what people are doing to their sites anything you want to expand on that i'm very glad that you brought up that uh that dichotomy of education there so I've made it a conscious effort to um, start connecting with people who have more of an influence to the general public. And the messaging of Thomas O'Malley and I have spoken a couple of times and I, and I try to share his content um, with my messaging behind it because he talks about identity theft. So when it comes to the education of the general public, you know, I give steps for that, but it's a completely different ballpark. They're watching their actual bank accounts, they're watching their credit cards, they're watching their credit report, they're trying to see um, if any action is happening whatsoever. So to drill down on these particular methods can be um, burdensome for the general public. They don't deal with it every day. So there's a different flavor that goes over there. But as to your question on what goes into the organizations and the platforms, it's it, when I first came over here, it was shocking how hmm, robust my methods were relative to what was being spoken about at the time. And keep in mind, this was six years ago and 10 years ago was the height of my career on the other side of the fence. So what shocked me was we are still being surprised that Jimmy takes Susan's information and types it into a form that we created. I, I, I'm still shocked by that. Yeah. And so what I tell my clients and my, my people um, who are operating in a business sense, go into your platform and identify every opportunity wherein some front-facing form asks for information. If you anticipate at that time that Jimmy's going to take Susan's info and type it in, you can start building something proactively and be prepared for the eventuality that will come. Now, the difference between forms and social engineering for the customer service level is social engineering um, answering questions for knowledge-based verifications. Um, so there's that that little split there, but they have their own processes, which is actually what birthed uh, the training that I offer is everyone who's operating with the technology and the data aggregation systems and, uh, and answering phone calls and answering tickets. They need to be aware of what's available out there and how to verify the information that's being provided. So that's super interesting, actually, to me, because, you know, I, I think about like it, at my own company here is like my my staff. So I have uh, Steve and, and Christopher KDF who report directly to me. Now, Steve is the manager of the team. And then uh, KDF is, is a supervisor of the team. And each one of those guys have two direct reports. Uh, we have Abigail, we have uh, well, Abby, um, we have Isaac, we have David, and we have Chris, which we call CK. Now, those four are the people that are um, 
deciding the orders and looking at these orders. So they possess the knowledge in their head of, of really what, what the current scams are. And they know what to look for because like they've been trained by Steve and KDF what to look for in our particular site. And, and our customers, like I always say, is, is a very unique customer because we do really, really international business in territories that people usually don't, like really emerging markets where there's a lot of fraud normally. And then we have found our diamond in the rough in those territories, and we've been very successful at it. We're having a really good year this year. Um, I think it'll be all over the news in the Q1 of next year about us. Um, people that will finally start asking me or stop asking me about um, iHerb is, is it a weed company? Um, where's the nearest dispensary? <laughs> because we're not any of those we'll things. Um, we are health and wellness. But I think that um, as our brand will be much more aware in the US next year, uh, which will finally help me out a lot. But these people are, they possess this knowledge. And what what we don't do, and, and I think we're better at it now. Like I've spent a lot, a lot of time working with like our customer service and customer experience team. I just had dinner with Eric last week, uh, talking about like kind of educating them on the reasons why that we make these decisions. Because to them, you know, anytime a customer can't complete a form or can't complete a purchase or has some sort of issue, it's a problem. But what they don't understand is sometimes we need it to be a problem to stop them earlier in the process. Like if they can't log in or they have to reset their password, if person's like, oh my gosh, why do I have to reset my password? It's like, well, we might've saw some activity that wasn't necessarily appropriate, you know? So we would prefer you change your password to, to keep you safe. And that, there's, there's the education pieces, like it, notifying the customer as to like why, but without telling them really why. We don't you're somebody logged into your account that we wasn't supposed to be in there. You know, well, that's why we reset your password. Instead of saying like, hey, we just thought it, we, we, we detected there could have been something and to keep you safe, we would prefer you reset your password to something that you haven't used the last five times, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, we need to equip these customer service people that are the, really the ones that are interacting with the reasons why we did do what we did and how to respond to that and educate because we can say you just respond to that like this all day long but the inquiring minds want to know like okay why do i need to respond like that what's the reason that that you either even locked their account in the first place and and you have to be careful because it's, it's always a balance it's you don't want to tell them too much because you don't want them to tell the, the the end person too much but at the same time you need to understand or they need to understand the reason that their the actions are being taken so they, they're more confident in their decisions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. There's always the, this is the 10. Okay, so recently I went through a, a lot of challenges and it introduced to me the idea of, as we progress through life, we live in this 10 by 10 box. It's something akin to a submarine in the ocean. And we're just in this 10 by 10 box. We make all of our decisions and all of our variables in our in our determination processes, they're all very small. They're all very isolated based on what we've, it's very subjective, what we've experienced firsthand. And at one point in time, people who work on themselves and grow and develop, they, they, they rise to the top, their submarine comes to the top, they break the surface, they open that hatch and they realize, holy cow, there's so much more going on than what I've experienced my whole life. Now, that same thought process I feel applies here. If you go and tell somebody, hey, we saw some suspicious activity on your account, they don't know about it. In their submarine, they don't know about it. And they don't even have any idea of what the submarine might imply to them down the road, down the road, if they have like stored payment methods or if they have sensitive information saved one way or another, anything like this, like what an ATO might be able to, uh, what a fraudster might be able to gain from an ATO. They don't have any idea about it. And so how do we bridge that gap? That's the question. How do we give enough for them to take it seriously without 
making them scared of every interaction that they have moving forward, you know? And I, and, and I love that you bring that up because that's what we're dealing with, with the general public. You and I and all of our merchant friends, all of our banks and the people we deal with, they're in it. They're in the trenches every day. Yeah. They're learning how to navigate the war. This new person over here who's 80 years old and never experienced fraud before being told she's encountering fraud, all it's all going to come flooding in. I heard That's about like, this fraud stuff and oh, la, la. And now it's happening to me. The sky is falling. That's why I think right. like you see so many people when like if you I don't know like how many people can ever see their their tickets from customer service. But like if you can, you'll see a lot of people that says my account was hacked and I need to know the IP address and the name of the person that did it. And it's right. like, what are you going to do? Are you going to fly to like Bulgaria and go like confront Ivan <laughs> that he logged into your account? You're going to do nothing about it like that, that doesn't do anything that doesn't give you but like to them it's such an invasion of like their privacy that they and they, and they they've never experienced it but they don't realize that people are having it happen to them thousands of times every single day but to them they're the most important thing they want to call the police get them over here like we got them working in shifts you know like that whole <laughs> line about that yeah jimmy down at the crime lab yeah but it's just like it's they're not gonna nothing's gonna be done about it but to them you're right like the sky is falling it's all coming flooding in because now it happened to them this thing that they might have just really only heard about is happening to them and how can your company especially if like well, how do you respond to that give me ivan's name give me his his give me his, his street address when typically like the, the information that's even being shared is like it's another unsuspecting person that's being used too you know like Right. It could be a mule on that. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Emily, the criminal, any of that. But it's just like, how do you respond as an organization to to be like, we care. We're super on top of this, like and, and, and remedying this. But at the same time, like, it's not the end of the world <laughs> because to them it is, you know, like yeah. that's a crazy thing to really think about. I guess I've never really thought about it in that perspective until like right now, like it really gets out. It's, it's come flooding in on me, as you said right now that like, damn, I am how I'm replying to these people. Well, I don't reply, but how I tell customer service to reply to these people is probably not the most um, empathetic way. <laughs> that, that it should <laughs> this be. is how it is. Yeah. Just and do like, it, I'm like, look, this shit happens every day of the week. <laughs> you, you use your password probably 15 times on 15 different sites. Like it's bound to happen eventually when you do that, it's kind of on you, buddy. When like, they're like, Really? It's on you. It's on me. I did this. I don't, it's your, it's your site's weak security. It's like, no, it's your shitty weak password that really did it. It's honestly. your password. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. man. I always, uh, when those conversations tend to come up, uh, actually I just helped this credit union, uh, this, uh, not nonprofit credit union client, the, her whole, everything got, got ripped away from her. And I'm in, I'm part of this business networking thing. Everything got taken her bank account, her personal account, her social security number, uh, all of the social security numbers for all of her family. It was a it was a dire situation, and and the, the spiderweb effect is probably still playing out for her in in different ways. Um, but I had to help her, and really, what I do is I just inundate them with here are the steps, and I write I wrote it down for her. I text it to her, email it. Here are steps you can take. Here are things to check. Here are things to do. As far as retaliation for this single event goes, um, that's out of her head, and she's she was really running through the muck. Um, but as for, you know, how I would respond, it would be, no, here are instructions to secure yourself at this level. Now, if it's just one username and password combination, okay, ma'am or sir, 
go ahead and change the password for any platform where you use the same password. Yeah. Because they have this combination, they'll be able to use it somewhere else. Maybe explain it to them that far. Um, but other than that, I would I would say for like financial institutions who are dealing with something similar, I would say, hey, here's a here's a, a copy and paste script type thing that I send over to you with instructions on how to get yourself secure in the other ways you need to be secure. Don't worry about this one occurrence. We stopped it and you're good. But go check out where else this this might play out. Yeah, you know, let me. This is prompting another thought in my head. I was going to kind of take it in a different direction here. I have um a single consulting client that I still do consulting for, and I've just I've worked with this this fellow for a really long time. I like I like the product. I like the um what they sell and where they sell it. And um the owner of the organization has become a, a personal friend of mine. I'm actually, going to go fly to see him next week, um and enjoy some music. But um, he recently had a spat of fraud on one of their shows that was very specific in a way that it used a credit union, a very specific credit union. It's a credit union called Extra. Have you ever heard of this? No, that's new. So here's the problem. So we had identified the fraud just fine. And in order to, like, we... we we have a pretty good process in place for their staff where they can find these things. But in order to save on processing, merchant processing, we try to find the fraud the same day and void the transaction versus versus refunding. Because refunding, you still got to pay a fee. Voiding, it just cancels the transaction. You don't have to do it. That's how, how their payment process works. Just like auth settlement, everybody, if you don't realize you're, you're paying auth and you're paying settlement, you're paying two different fees. But the at the end of the day, like we were trying to say, because the margins are razor thin on this particular product. And... We, we started seeing all of these frauds were all related to this one single bin that was related to this company called Extra. But we were not able to void and we were not able to refund. And this is something that I had not known. I called my friends at JP Morgan um, to kind of ask some questions too. But I'd never been not able to refund anything. Have you ever not been able to refund anything? Have you ever seen this? No. Like straight up doesn't exist. Like it'll fail. It's not allowed. I like you're not allowed to to refund at all. And I when my friends JP Morgan said that prepaid Visa reloadable cards, you're not allowed to refund to. And I don't know if anybody else ever heard put people put it in the comments, but that's what like I was told. And I've never I have never I've been doing payments for 15 years. I've never not been able to refund, but maybe I just maybe because a lot of times I don't allow prepaid cards <laughs> to make purchases. Um, but the sites that I do, like, it's just, they're so few and far between, especially prepaid reloadable ones that you just can't. But I feel like, like we try to do the right thing to like refund the money back to whoever poor sap was actually probably own these cards. Cause I think that the, the, this credit union, there's two possibilities that I've determined and you can, I see you wrote it down. So maybe you can do some investigation on your side, but it's either, it's a completely fake credit union. That's like totally been set up and somehow got some, some of these visa bins or it's been cracked. And this, their prepaid bins have been, because it's not, if I use a bin list on two different ones, it wasn't registering as a prepaid card. And on the payment processor, it also was not registering as a prepaid card. It was registering as, as, um, as credit actually. But the bin came back to this extra credit union and they're like in Wisconsin. Um, and the website looks like shit. Uh, I wouldn't believe that it was real, but I think it's more so that the, the credit unions like bin set has been cracked or the whole thing has been compromised in some way, like a list of all the cards got that scraped somewhere. But um, it was, it, they, were, they were all different, but they were all the same same people. Like the same people, same bin, different card numbers every single time, but yeah, couldn't refund it, man. 
And so basically we ended up like long story short, like just blocking the whole damn bin because no other reason. But dude, this thing is like, I've never encountered that before. I was just curious if you have. Walk me through CVVs, AVS. If it's a prepaid card, I wouldn't expect it to have much historical information. Addresses were different because it doesn't matter necessarily on, on a prepaid card. Right. So, and I, I don't remember the CVV response on there. If you're looking back, it's been a month now. Um, but I would assume it was correct because I think we drew a pretty hard line on CVV because the the um, liability so much. And then I, sure. I do 3D secure. I have 3D secure their transactions um, to an extent. Like, you know, there's ours obviously strategic. We won't talk about that. But um, these did pass 3D secure. Now that's coming, coming back to me. It was successful on 3D secure. Um, frictionless 2.1. And it, like, so we don't have like, there was no like fraud liability. We just wanted to uh, refund it and put the, the items back in inventory. Right. At the end of the day, you know, and like, so like, there's no real like hard loss, but it's just like, we want to do the right thing. <laughs> what was the volume of this attack? Like there how was like many... six of them, six total oh. transactions. Yeah. Okay. No, there was, a, there was 11 total, tra 11 total transactions. And they okay. were all identified by our auto automated system. But in, in order to, for the, to, the actions to complete on the automated system, it needs to void or refund. And it was sure. trying to void, and then we let the batch close, and then we tried to refund, and it would, still wouldn't do it. So it's interesting because back when I was when I had my black hat on, um, there was this rumor going around that people were able to reverse engineer the track data of certain bins, and they were able to somehow use an algorithm to reverse engineer the true CVV out of the discretionary or out of the track information that was on the the track data. Interesting. Now, I've never encountered that ever in my life. The second anyone came to me and said, hey, you can get the, the, the CVV off of the CVV2 or whatever trick they, they claimed to know, I, I was good at math and I was good at algorithms and never once was I able to recreate it. And so anyway, if had you told me that it was more like hundreds, right, I, I would believe that, hey, maybe this is a bin where it actually did get broken. Well, this particular client, like they're their product has a finite number. It's like, um, think of it more. I mean, it, it's tickets. So there's only so many capacity that they could sell in an mm. event. And like, they don't have, they don't do sales every day, you know, like, I mean, they're selling stuff every day, but they, they only like when a show goes on sale, it sells out, it's six months out from now. And then they like, they'll do like a few shows a week. So this doesn't, it doesn't happening all the time, but, and in shows vary in popularity, um, based on who the artist is, it's going to be there. But, um, for it, it was the only time I'd seen it, and I don't know how many more attempts could have happened after the fact because we we caught it the same day, you know, and and took action on it. But it, look at this. So I just I just some sharing. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to see this if we ever choose to release this on video. But here is the the website. Now look at this, dude. Like just look at this. This is supposed <laughs> to be their credit union. Like if you go to these things, it's just like here's loans. There's nothing. There's like so there's nothing here. Oop, let me go back here again. Um, there's like zero things here. And then membership, like attention. All platform currently experiencing technical difficulties. I wonder if they found out they got cracked. This is interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> oh, wow. This is new. So it says that they, they're either e-bill e or Zelle. Everything is offline right now. Yeah. 
I wonder if I wonder if it did get cracked now looking at all of this. Because but this website looks like dog shit. Like yeah, this garbage. looks like fraud. Like this just looks like completely fake. Like this, if I put something in here, it's gonna scrape down some information. Like what happens if you someone click on forgot password? Someone from the board of directors for this credit union is going to pop onto your podcast in six months. <laughs> I mean, I might even I might even put them in the description just to see what happened here. Look at that, man. Super basic. There's nothing there. Yeah. Look at here's all the, the code right here. It's just a basic ass web form. For those listening, we're we're a... going through the source code and just checking it out. Was the uh, there's no iframe? So what is this box? Is this just a data <laughs> scraper right here? <laughs> That's its sole purpose, dude. <sighs> wow. Okay. Well, that was super interesting. So either they got either this is a completely fake thing, and somehow they got a bin, and it is prepaid cards of some kind, or um, or they got they really did get cracked. What if you Which? look at they're hiring? Let's see what they're hiring for. What cybersecurity people? Teller, training specialist, and IT technical support specialist. This, this, there's no way this is real. <laughs> All right. Anyway, there's, there's my story. Sorry, everybody, but that's kind of what we do. This is, this is bros talking <laughs> fraud right here. So this is just what's gonna happen. Let me stop sharing on that. This is just bros talking fraud. So yeah. So that, that's my story. That's my recent story. You know, obviously we have some regular stuff happening at iHerb too during the day. You know, but um. We're pretty, we're pretty locked and loaded. We're in our anniversary sale right now, deep in the trenches, uh, have, having Thank a good you, time man. there. What have else is recovered? new in, oh, go ahead, yeah. Have you recovered from the, um, <clears throat> oh. Hurricane Hillary coming, to, coming through? Let's go with that, yes. Have you recovered? Oh, what was the other one? Was it RSV? Because I had RSV at the beginning of the year and I was good, I'm good there now. When we spoke <laughs> last year, there was a huge, oh, actually it, was, it had to have been, fallout from the year before when uh, the geopolitical landscape oh. shifted we we have <laughs> um without going into specifics obviously because we can't but um we have re recalibrated as my team says um when we're golfing and we're playing bad we have recalibrated and um we have done very 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 well we focused on the markets that matter um awesome. to to offset our russia business uh we are running a leaner and more agile version of our company. And it is, it's been very well. Uh, Good for you, bro. Happy yeah, we're, we're very happy. We're very stable in, in our, in our roles. Now, I think everybody that had to add the multiple hats to their individual roles have settled into um, what we're doing. And it gave us time as a company to really focus on the core of our business and, and where we can enhance certain things. And I think that we have really taken the ball and scored a lot of touchdowns lately. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good, man. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, re we re I rebuilt um, after Hurricane Hillary came through and um, caused a light mist on the on my house. <laughs> you That's know? all I've heard, man. Everyone was getting all up in arms and it just kind of crept through. Dude, like, so <clears throat> giving my, my risk side of the business, like I knew, so I stocked up, but I knew that everybody was going to do a bum rush the, the day before. I knew the stores were going to be blasted. So I did a grocery pickup a couple of days before. I got stuff that wouldn't require electricity to cook, you know, snack foods, because I knew we we're going to be we're like, we're going to be out of power for like weeks. I'm like, no, we're not. We're not going to be out of power. I was like, we're going to be out of power maximum 24 hours. So I went and got just like non-perishable items that I could like, like chips, you know, like stuff like that, that I could just eat 
quickly, you know, jerky, those sorts of easy things that like would, would sustain my life for 24 hours. DoorDash shut off. So you couldn't get DoorDash, which I don't blame him. You know, he didn't know what the risk portfolio was going to be on, on people driving around at the end of the day, but dude, it was nothing, but I was watching people run out of toilet paper again and running out of water. And I'm sitting there and I was just making myself old fashions watching justified. I'm rewatching that that whole series from the, the beginning, just, just hammering old fashions, watching the little bit of rain come down. And I will say that I had far more old fashions than I realized when I finally stood up, but you know, felt good. <laughs> nice. Nice. Have you, uh, you're not much of a drinker, but if you ever are looking for like, um, real good cocktails that aren't like alcohol, they don't feel like alcohol. Well, I think they have some mocktails too. There's a really good cocktail place in Phoenix that I highly recommend. Um, that you go to let me see if i can find the, the, the name of the place here while we're doing bitter and twisted it is absolutely amazing and if you're taking anybody out on a date night um highly recommend it's on jefferson street it's so yeah you're 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 up up in um closer to scottsdale right yeah i guess we are in scottsdale yeah okay so that you're gonna it's it's down in downtown area so if you ever go down there i don't really know why people really would that much uh, maybe to catch a baseball game because that's about all that's down there. But it's right by the baseball stadium, right on. Um, I mean, it's not like Google doesn't. Do it. It's on Jefferson and First. Jefferson and First. Yeah, I mean, Noted. it's like right Thank down you. by the by the, the the actual stadium. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, the place is so good. Like those cocktails are incredible. Menu is super cool. Like really, it's really like um, what they call them foofy cocktails. You know, I got I got no shame in my cocktail game. I will order a pink drink in in any bar. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm old enough that I don't need to impress anybody with right. what I order or how I order. I'm going to order exactly what I like. And I like drinks yeah. that taste good. Um, Damn right. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll tell you one thing that excited me about moving here was, so as you know, I'm a metal head, I'm a death metal head. I love the, the technical loud stuff. There is a theater here called Nile theater. And every time when I was in Vegas, every time I would look at these death metal acts that are touring, I'd go down the, the dates and I'd say, when are they coming to Vegas? And I'd find out they're not coming to Vegas, but they're going to some place called Nile Theater in Mesa, Arizona. And I started to build yeah. this resentment. It's going to cost me $500 every time I want to go see one of these shows. What the heck? Blah, 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 blah. Well, now I'm 30 minutes away from there. So I am excited. So oh, if anybody listening, yes, sir. Mesa, Nile, Nile Theater in Mesa. That's where my, my grandfather lived in Mesa. That's where I would go when I would go there. But yeah, dude, they got like census fail coming for like my emo because I'm an emo guy. I'm an emo. Listen. What do they call it? Um, screamo guy. That's that's yeah, my yeah. thing. But yeah, they, they have this is kind of like our version of, well, I guess now House of Blues. But they, we have um, you, you've heard of Chain Reaction, right? Of course. Yeah, that's like a mile from my house. Like Nice. So I go there fairly regularly. Uh, they sell beer now, which is pretty crazy because it used to be allages.com is their website. And that was like the whole thing is they didn't have alcohol and that's how they could have the all ages. But that's where I've seen some some really, really big shows at that that place. I even saw like I saw Andrew McMahon um, actually this poster right back here um, or this yellow one over here was from when he played it uh, in March, March 31st, his uh, album release show, which he for people that don't know, used to be in a band called something corporate. Then he was in Jack's Mannequin. Um, these were all huge major label bands. And then he decided he's an Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. He's also on a major label, but he decided to put out his record and do the show at chain reaction for 200 people. You know? That's awesome, man. Yeah. Man, I didn't know he was good. in yeah, something corporate. Choice, That's awesome. Yeah. He was the main guy. So the corporate that title. And they, so I actually saw him on this poster over here. It was his 40th birthday. Um, just about a year ago now. 
uh, that he had at, at uh, House of Blues in Anaheim. And then he that was the something corporate union. They had everybody uh, come and play with the band, including William Tell, which uh, is a big deal because they had a big falling out. They were like best friends when they were kids. Um, he's actually married to um, Lauren Conrad. That guy is uh, William Tell. But it was a big deal that he came out and they played like five or six something corporate songs. And now they're doing the When You Were Young Festival in uh, in Las Vegas. In Vegas now. <laughs> Nice. Are you going to this? Awesome. Uh, are you going to this Fall of, Fall of Troy uh, show on September thirteenth? No, but I'm on the fence about going tonight to a psychroptic and decrepit birth. I see decrepit birth, and uh, there it is, man. Are you? How could you not? Right, they're iconic. <laughs> but that takes yeah. away from time for my daughter, so it'll now be. A, bring it with. Can she yeah, go? Right. the The setup it's too it's too. Um, is it too tight. all? Is it, is it is it all general admission like yeah all... it's effectively a basement that you go into a corporate basement yeah and they also have a coffee house next door it looks like too yes sir yes sir pretty cool see this is the thing is like this is why like it's it's hard for me to leave la is because like i mean i have access to all these things and like i'm i got a disneyland annual pass and it's like three miles from my door there's so much here you know but it's at the same time like I'm trying to pay a million dollars for a starter house, and that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So any other fraud stuff, man? <clears throat> we got we got a couple minutes. Fraud stuff. <laughs> so, hey, so now we can get to the fraud stuff, <laughs> uh, dude. It's um, I, I'm I, so I, after my little hiatus, my unintentional hiatus and chaos, I hop back into the feed um, over the last couple of weeks, and I started to read up on on you know what what are the hot button items of today. And people seem to be talking about the implications of AI a lot, which in my personal opinion, AI is not real. Stop marketing yourself as AI. Machine learning, 100%. You want to go back and re-loop back and do all that stuff. But as I think I discussed with you before, the thing that shocks me is that we're going around to all of these merchants and all these financial institutions and we're saying, hey, we've got AI. We cracked the code. We have AI. We're powerful. Yeah. We're powered. And we're selling them on a T1000 from Terminator. But then what we provide them is a Furby in a box. And it's just not the same. I don't think AI is 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 AI. I just, that's my opinion. And I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers with that. Yeah. Um, About so eight vendors one, are going to start sending angry emails. Watch. How dare you? <laughs> uh, that's How one, we do two. it is different is what they always say. How, how, we, how we approach it is different. And then they show you and then they approach it like everybody else approaches it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, it, it's, I just, uh, yeah, I just don't get, get along with the semantics of it. Um, two is ATOs are still top of mind. And that's crazy to me. Um, you know, so I think it'd be, it would be worthwhile for your audience to just hear the two primary ways that I would ATO an account back when I was around. And so that way, you know, people can just, you Do know, get, get a little bit more of an idea. So one is the typical way that anyone would go about it. Some of these login credentials are being, uh, compromised and they're being shared on the black market and they're going to get typed into a form. Jimmy types Susan's login information into a form. Shocker. He stole her information and typed it in. That's the typical way for, uh, you know, in order to identify whether or not this should be allowed to go through, we got session data, we've got PII information, we've got all these different technologies that are focused on that one. Cool. Great. I think we're making headway there. It's just people need to become aware that it's if they haven't encountered yet it yet, it's right around the curve. So that one, well, that one is very familiar. 
But two, and the thing that really shocks me, and actually I just attempted to ATO my own account um, about 90 days ago. I have this really old prepaid card that I used when I first changed my life over. Is it from and Extra I, Credit Union? <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Um, but so I went in and I said, hey, I don't know any of my information. I don't have any of my information. I did uh, provide my uh, social security number, but a fraudster can get a hold of that relatively easy. And I went through their KBVs in order to reset access. I successfully did it. And they asked me questions that as a fraudster, I can go on to PeopleFinder and Spokio and Ben Verified and Facebook and find these answers, right? So I think that if I were to bring anything actionable into this conversation, it would be for the people listening to understand that account takeovers, ATOs, happen through very loose um, KBVs, knowledge-based verification questions yeah. that take place at the customer service level. The social engineering there is very important and um, you need a way to verify what it is that they're asking. So anyway, there's something yeah. actionable. So I think a, lo a lot of people, you know, um, true people search the free one that everybody always knows and loves. Um, you could remove yourself from it. I think a lot of people did, especially people in our industry did, but there's another one called fast people search um, that everybody's back on again. Like even I'm on that one again. And you know what, you know, what's really funny about it the other day? Um, is I was filling out the wonderful government thing um, to the the IRS thing, you know the what what is, what is it I I ID me or, or ID me that yeah. ridiculous thing and it's like you know you got to put in like where you've lived and all those sorts of things you know like to fill out your profile and I forgot some of the addresses and I just had to go look myself up on faster people search <laughs> to find out all my previous addresses. Yeah, that's what that's what is. Um... So here's the thing. So let's 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 drill down right on that now. for a second. If I go through a financial institution system for resetting access to an account enough times, I'll get all ten of their questions that they ask. Say they ask hundred security questions. Yeah, because I can all see 10. all my old phone numbers. Like, so it'll be like, which one of these have you ever not lived at? Like, I mean, this is almost everything right here, you know. And then which one of these phone numbers is, is like one of your phone numbers? You know, like all of those things. What's your and then like what's your parents' names? You know, and here they are. Like, click on. Let's see, I'm clicking on my mom right now. Let's see if it shows her maiden name. You know. Let's see. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, sure does. There it is, right there. Yeah, dude. That's all it took to get all to aggregate all the superficial information needed to satisfy KBVs a decade ago. Jordan, let me specify this: mm -hmm. a decade ago, at the height of my criminal career, what you just did is what we did. The only the only bridge for the gap is knowing what questions these financial institutions and these different merchants were going to ask. So if I targeted merchant or if I targeted organization A and they asked me for something like the social, the date of birth, whatever it is, and then some, some uh, security questions, by the end of attempting that process 10, 15 times, you know all the questions they're going to ask. So now yeah. you take that, the fraudster will take that information, go back to home base, and as they're building out the profiles that I talk about so much, they'll go aggregate those pieces of information before ever making the call, anticipating which questions are going to be asked. And it's just... It is. It's sad and scary that here we are a decade later, and this is still a prominent, prominently available method for fraudsters to, to exploit. So there's that. So we talked about AI. We talked about ATOs. <laughs> so it's I, I'm doing a talk, depending on when we release this, I'm doing a talk um, on September 14th in LA with Riskify. And I... Uh, 
I'm going to be talking specifically about ATOs. So we're going to be talking about like what, what people are really doing and, and getting information for KBAs is, is part of it. But a lot of it is like, um, just like stealing stuff from accounts. Let's not store credentials, you know, like taking ticket inventory off of it, taking, um, taking rewards points, those sorts of things. And, just cashing out because I don't think people think about that enough. If that makes sense, yeah, the policy exploits. Yeah, that's what I think. Like, like I think if, if people really like, we've talked about it a million times, but I think when you start looking at like promo code abuse, even is a great example of like people creating new accounts using promo codes and then just ripping it again and again and again. And you look like let's say they get like twenty percent off every time. If you start adding up all those accounts and all those people that are abusing that, like how much money did you lose as an organization by giving discounts to people that aren't really new people? You know, like, is right. it, did you have dollars assigned to marketing for that? That like was like new customer acquisition. And now that money isn't being spent on new customers, but being ripped by existing customers that were going to buy anyway. But if you look at like the, mon the money loss on those 20%, you know, like it might add up to way more than your fraud losses even, you know? So like, I think people need to really step back especially the fraud people step back and look at what other people are doing like how they're interacting with sites and what they're doing and i think you, you can use like a lot of these customer experience companies you know like like a lot of the stuff i think the new the new big thing is like companies like spec you know who's been a generous sponsor of mine um and darwinian who's also been a generous sponsor of mine they're doing these things where they're they're putting their their fraud tools like what they say at the edge on the cdn level and that allows them to see all of the traffic that goes to a site because you, a site has to be served up by a CDN. So it has to go through a CDN in order to get there, everybody. And I think that that's where you start to see some of the value in a lot of these, these products that are doing it. And I've been asking like people that have been showing me their fraud tools lately, like, are you doing anything at that level? Because when you, at, you're just sitting at checkout, you don't see anything, or you're just sitting at login, you don't see everything. But when you sit on the, at the holistic level and you can see this whole entire customer experience, like you can see where people are going and what they're doing. And I think that that's super interesting, not just from like a, a fraud prevention thing, but just from like a, a data standpoint, like what are people doing that you're not watching on your site? You know, like really, what are they up to? Where are they clicking? What are they clicking on? You know, all those sorts of things. So yeah. Any opinions about 100%. that? Absolutely. You drew a very big uh, item that I think you and I were discussing bringing to, to my podcast, the multiple account fraud. And there's two, there's two batches of this. How does a good customer exploit multiple accounts. So we're talking about promotion abuse, policy abuse, refund abuse, return abuse, the whole nine. Um, but then additionally, how, how much and at what volume does a fraudster exploit multiple accounts, right? So if I wanted to go, I mean, there's probably, I don't think this will get me in trouble. There's probably 5,000 accounts that have been created on merchant and FI platforms, FinTech platforms, gaming platforms. There's probably 5,000 accounts that I created that I never interacted with, never yeah. not once. I just created it and it's out there. Social media as well, all of these different things, email accounts, the whole night. Um, imagine if you only calculated what one good customer was able to get out of your platform using the discounts, the promotions, the returns, the refunds, the various forms of potential abuse versus a fraudster or a dishonest consumer who is actively targeting you, targeting the platform for, uh, for exploitation. And, and, and those numbers, there's a huge dichotomy there or a huge you know, disparity there. And uh, I think that's very important for people to get in their heads is a fraudster doesn't do one thing. Yeah. The fraudster does many things. And then that brings up 
gosh, moving up from there, it brings up uh, a thing that I'm going to start working on some content for, which is the difference between linear methods. If you think about the fraudster who goes out to the dark web and he gets 200 cards and he goes and types that information in on a checkout form and now he, he hits submit and he crosses his fingers, those carters of the world, the low level elementary level fraudsters. That's a linear approach. You get the information, you type it in, you hit send. Very linear. The second class of fraud method that I dealt with was called multi-touch. So you meet the requirements of the checkout form, but then you call into customer service and you adjust where it's being shipped so it goes to the house yeah. you want it to. Yeah, that's that's so funny because I think for years we've been telling people to, to turn off their, re their shipping redirects. Apple's been pretty... Uh, uh, like upfront about it. But a lot of places that I go that we ever, I've ever had shipped goods, I'm like, don't allow redirects. And right. we, we just saw it pop back up again uh, with people trying to, to do redirects on their shipments here. And I'm like, can't do it. Especially like people that are like in, in those countries where like it can be kind of dicey on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? Like you have to kind of be sensitive to like, maybe that area got bombed yesterday, you know? Like maybe we can't ship stuff there anymore. But at the same time, right. like we need to be protecting the consumer and not allowing redirects, you know? So it's, it's a little bit of work that goes into it on our side, but that is was always the, the the classic way is like you use everybody's information to buy a MacBook. Like like I use your information to buy my MacBook. And then after it's all said and done, shipping to your address, I come up and say, actually, can you reship that over here to Fullerton for me, please? And then, exactly. then I wind up with your MacBook. But at the checkout, at the time the fraud tool scanned it, everything was legitimate and seemed normal, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll do a shameless plug here. This is why training for the fraud teams is so dang important. If you get these calls, you got to know what's, what's, what's out there yeah. for you. So. Yeah, that, that, and that's a, an excellent point, you know, like the customer service, like they should be, we should be telling them, hey, redirects, like be on the lookout for people trying to redirect packages. It should be part of their training, you know, like look out for that. And it's documentation also is super important. Like um, a lot of companies use Confluence, you know, where you can like, it's kind of like a wiki for internal document documentation. Mm -hmm. We use it here. I use it at Ticketmaster. Um, kind of just put like, like best practice. We're, we're in the process of uh, kind of adding like a creating like I guess a manual of what like fraud fighting is so like we like a, like a knowledge base in there so that like not only my team can reference it as needed but like the customer service team can like maybe type in like redirects be on the lookout for you know educate like an education you know look out for for this type of, of situation this type of person trying to exploit that makes sense so the third the third the third tier so we went linear we went multi-touch the third tier that I identify. Now imagine if I take over, if I go and make a Walmart account, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Merchant A account, and they allow third-party payment processing and our third-party um, payments. Well, I go over there and I make an account under Billy Bob McGee, right? That's the Walmart profile. It all lines up. I verify everything. Cool. Great. I get to the checkout form and I go over to PayPal. I click pay with PayPal. And I use one of these accounts that I've compromised on this side. Now, which, where's the liability? Where's the, where's the, that's, where's the verification? That is so important because I always argue that on PayPal and the, and I know that somebody from PayPal is probably going to listen to this and they're probably going to be boiling, but okay. I don't understand why the merchant has liability when a payment instrument inside PayPal is used fraudulently. And I know they have seller protection and all that, but the, the burden of the proof has to lie on the merchant to say it qualifies for seller protection. It, I, as a merchant, cannot see what the funding method is inside PayPal. 
It should not be my problem. PayPal should be validating that information on their own side and should be taking the liability if they validated it. It is not my problem that somebody used a fraudulent payment method inside PayPal when using PayPal to pay for goods on my site. That is my opinion, and I will stand by that till the day that I die. I'm with it, bro. I can't do verification when all it says is they paid through platform A, B, or C. Okay, great. Where does where does my tech get to take over? Where do I get to draw an accurate determination and let the good guys through and the bad guys not? You know, so I'm with you 100%. And I'll stand, I won't stand, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder, but I'll stand behind you. A little bit behind, a little bit behind. (laughs) That's funny. No, I I agree entirely. So yeah, those are the three categories. If if we were to categorize every method on the planet, you've got the linear approach, the multi-touch approach, and the multi-system exploits. And within there are more. I used to do third-party ATOs. I used to do ACH payments and check payments, wire transfers, deposits, withdrawals. There's a whole list of third-party ex- or multi-system exploits that I used to participate in. And how do we get coverage there? So I'm looking at where we've been struggling for a decade to cover ground where I was before. And I'm trying to piece together these holistic, again, landscape holistic, not just one single organization or one industry. And I'm trying to put together what we might be able to do to bridge those gaps because it's only a matter of time before somebody puts out a handbook talking about the methods that I did a decade ago. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. And if it happens to be multi-touch for one transaction or multi-system for a transaction as a reliable method, we're not prepared. I'm sorry. We're just not. Yeah. I'm going back. I'm still, I'm still thinking about like the, the PayPal thing because Visa is launching this new, this new thing where it's like kind of like a, it's a token-based situation, but again, we're going to lose the insight into a lot of information from the PAN. They're trying to get away from, you know, FPANs being used. We were discussing and, this at MRC, I think, right? Yeah, and like they, they yeah, they were, they think they did, and then they just put, they had like the the MRC had those webinars the other day with Visa and then Mastercard like the next day, yeah. talking about their upcoming changes. But Visa was touting like their new, I guess it's it's not really a wallet, but it's like it functions like one where it's kind of like a secure payment method um, that you can get like a token and, and pay. And um, I'll have to I, I'll have to go back and revisit that because I'm not super clear on it. But I remember um, I was side chatting with Steve on my team and we were talking about like, OK, great. There goes our insight into the the bin information. So we don't know what bank it's coming from. We don't know what level of consumer it is. We don't like we lose a lot of information about the individual transaction. <clears throat> and I actually saw somebody on LinkedIn posting about it the other day. I forgot who it was too, but talking about like all of these wallets are kind of taking away a large chunk of our insight into the risk portfolio of of like or the risk profile of this in individual transaction by obscuring more and more and more of the details about the individual transaction. Like we used to anchor on like the bins. So the, the certain bins have certain risks. Extra credit union sucks. Nobody should be <laughs> taking any extra credit union at all. But at the same time, like I need to be able to see that because if that if that customer was inside a wallet. And granted, there was other signals that we were able to catch it. But if it was like a regular consumer, but an ATO, if it was an ATO to count, for example, but using a wallet all of a sudden, I would have no insight into what our common thread was at the beginning of these that helped me link right. them all together. And I think that like, I, I understand everybody's privacy and all that, but a bin isn't a privacy thing. You know, like that's just a piece of intelligence that I think we need to know. We need, we, I think that the fund, if we're going to be liable, and I want to preface it with that, if the merchant is going to be liable 
then we need to have the the intelligence of what the funding method is. Surprise. It is just that simple. And no matter what, like they, like Visa, MasterCard, PayPal can put all these wonderful things out, Apple Pay, and say how great and secure and private everything is. But what are they doing for me who's selling the product? Like what's in it? Like, like the, what about me? You know, I sads too. Like Anthony Jeselnik thing. Like, what about me? Like, what about me? What what are they doing? Because merchants paying these fees to like the, the like the interchange fees, we're the ones that are paying the big money. Like, why do you keep screwing me over? Because you know, I can turn off American Express if I want to. I can turn off Discover. I can turn off PayPal if I choose to. And like, if you push people far enough, like look what like uh, Walmart was doing when they started strong arming. I think it was Visa. When they're like, we're not going to take Visa cards anymore because of the interchange rates that Visa just decided they're going to do. They're doing it again. They're raising interchange rates again. And they're like, basically like, well, what are you going to do about it? Not take Visa? Yeah, right. And Walmart, like, years ago, finally did step up and say, yeah, we're not going to take Visa. And like at the sacrifice of their customers. But, you know, at the end of the day, it the Visa, I think, backed down. If I remember correctly, they did back down for Walmart. But, you know, like they'll, you can do that from time to time. But now the federal government's starting to look into the price fixing of what's happening with the networks on, on their interchange fees. Like that, that recent raise, like I just saw the other day at the FTC is going to look into that. So probably good. Probably time. Yeah, that'll be good. I think that you raise an interesting point. If you remove information from us, what do we then use? If, if, if the primary focus is to protect PII and sensitive information, what can you give us if you're taking that away? And if, I, and if you I, want to take it away, then take the liability for it then. Right. So that's one that's one path. And I'm totally with that. Well, not that I matter, but I'm just saying, like, I agree with that. <laughs> um, but two, when they take away specific information, I do constantly revert back to the idea of creating a code system where like how the AVS, it tells us what is correct and how it's correct. Well, imagine in this new setting, if this third party payment option tells us, hey, the name we have on file matches the name you submitted. Okay, the address we have on file for this card on our platform gives us that. Something akin to AVS, but more expansive. Well, that's where this is coming to this new thing where, you know, you and I have talked about in the past, but like a kind of like an identity token um, that kind of validates that the person is who they say they are whether through some sort of authentication process each individual time. So I have yeah. actually have Intersect coming on here um, in a couple of weeks and they they have a solution that they've done in this space and they work alongside MasterCard pretty closely. I think some of the other brands, but it's it's kind of fades into pass keys. It's like it's a passwordless situ authentication situation, but when you're authenticated using it, it basically is authentic that it, you're really that person. And I think that that's where we really need to hold on. My sister is calling me. Hey, is everything okay? Okay, I call you back. I'm I'm recording a podcast right now. Okay, let me call you back in like just a little bit here. Sorry, I was I just when you called, I didn't know. I thought somebody like I I did not get in my wine. Okay, bye. You there? You didn't get eaten by a lion? No, uh, my wine. Um, oh, why? Yeah, no. So I went up and saw her in May. Um, she lives in Walla Walla, Washington. And uh, 
I joined one of the wineries up there. It's a place called Contos. Um, the wine was really good. So I joined the wine club and um, apparently they shipped the wine. I got one random email, but I didn't get my wine. So Intersect is going to come on the show and talk about their solution for this past key thing. And what they're doing is interesting because it's kind of like, I don't have all the details on it. I just have what I've talked to them very briefly about and put some notes about, but I'm hopefully going to wade through all of this and find out if there's an option there in the future to use a service like them to authentically authenticate an actual individual and then possibly get a liability shift of some kind if we do that. And like, I hope that like their partnerships with some of the card networks would lead to something like that. But this is, this is, I don't know them very well. I don't know any of the BI people or anything that's happening behind the seasons uh, at all. I just say like in, in my perfect world, using a product like them, that's biometrically authenticated that when I see that, that appear on my site, I know it's them and I'm safe to transact with them. Like that's a, a huge difference maker in like the future of, of what authentication could be like you could people logging in and transacting could be different. Cause then I don't need to know all the individual pieces of information about the payment method. If like I, if there's no liability on my side, because this person was authenticated in some way. And if they choose to do some sort of thing on their side, like if they claim fraud or something like there has to be some sort of liability to the consumer. I don't know. There's, there has to be something there, but if I, as a merchant, once I authenticate them, I don't have to worry about anything else because it's all them. I mean, obviously, I have to worry about shipping the product and delivering a product that's said to be the product that it's supposed to be. But if I don't have any fraud liability or scam liability, like that's huge. You know what I mean? I agree. What kind of biometric do they use? I don't know. But I would say that they probably use um, on-device and um, passive. That, I, I mean, hopefully Intersect will really peel back the layers for me on that. And I'm really excited to have them on uh, because I have a lot of questions. But I think that that product is one of the most exciting products in the uh, in the identity verification and not IDV as far as like taking a photo of yourself, but like really identity space that I've seen in a really long time. Nice. Yeah, I made a note here. Is it the one Intersect with a K? KT? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It's a green... I've spoken to them before, but maybe I'll maybe I'll go touch back touch base with them again. Awesome, that, man. it's a really cool product. And a, a guy that I used to work at Visa at Cardinal Commerce named Greg that I've known for a long time. Uh, he just went to work for them, and I was pretty excited when he went and and I saw that pop up as his job change. So, yeah, that's cool. And it's a truly holistic technology that could be applied anywhere. Someone puts in a request to customer service. Well, hey, we're going to send you a verification to the app real quick. Hey, yeah. you want to? place this order well this is a new card or it got it's got a yellow or an orange flag on it can you just verify you know what it is and, or yeah that can help with a lot of escalations that can help with a lot of requests it just depends on where their information is coming from and how easy it is to manipulate the information that they rely on and i think that's a really important um aspect of the multi-system exploits that i used to take advantage of was if you go to low platform or low kyc platform a b and c and you inject poisonous data into the aggregated data sets that exist, you then can move over to platforms five, six, and seven, which rely on the data I injected at those initial platforms and get things to seem reliable when they shouldn't be. 
that's that's another thing that like so many fraud providers, especially like like new salespeople that are new into this industry or new entrants into the fraud space because it's still a very lucrative space for a lot of people. But they are like, well, we have all this um, this network data. Like you could like our network of of merchants like sets us apart. I'm like, well, for good and bad, you know, like people tagging good or people tagging bad, like can completely influence like the decision. When like my business, how like the customers that I do business with people wouldn't do business with anywhere else, but my company, you know, like, it's just how it like, like, like a, a big box electronics retailer is not going to send a PlayStation to the middle of Africa, but I'll send $500 worth of pills there. You know, <laughs> like that's right. just, that's the difference, you know, is like, so me marking those customers as good might not necessarily be the right thing for big box retailer and vice versa for them. You know, like they're, they're, people that bought an xbox and then charged it back like i might they might not be charging back vitamins so there's, it kind of it goes both ways you know at the end of the day like i just i i like to take the influence from network stuff but i still like to make my own decisions on our internal platforms man we could go on forever bro that we just could. brought up another good point is i said that i said this a few months ago i was having a call and i said there's a there's a problem in the fraud industry where we that i believe we've reached critical mass on the viability of our data We've until now said there's no such thing as too much data, right? But now you go through some of these providers, um, well, they're, they're the data that they use for these determinations and you see what the historical performance has been and you realize, well, hey, that shouldn't have been clarified that or it shouldn't have been, uh, uh, it shouldn't have been disproved or, or denied or approved in that way for that reason. I disagree with it. So now we're yeah. dealing with untrained people uh, I won't say untrained, but I will say we're dealing with people who don't have expertise in partic particular use cases who are saying this is a bad transaction and we're relying on it being a bad transactions yeah. six months down the road for different so, use cases. Yeah, I can like I can give you an example of that. Like years ago, we I used a at my company used this, uh, one of the email verification services. I won't say the name of the one, but it was one where you can self mark um, if a transaction was good or bad with you as a, as a merchant. And then you could a couple of days later, go back to that same record and see that because you said it was bad, it now is displaying as bad to everybody. But where the problem is, is there's two main parts to this. The problem is, is like, just because I had a personal quarrel with that customer, doesn't mean that you will. Like they, we might've had a disagreement and I might've as a merchant not shipped them the product, shipped them the wrong product and refused a refund. So then they charged back, which like was the appropriate course of action there. Now that's a personal vendetta, you know, but at the same time, we were starting to see the end users of that product relying on it like a crutch. So right. they would just take whatever was in there as gospel. So that was kind of like their workflow is they just copy and paste. And what if it said good, if it said bad, that's what they would do. Not using like any sort of investigation any deeper than that. You know, it was kind of like the easy way out was to use that product. So we had to kind of like slow down their role on that use because, you know, over-reliance on a single piece of technology that then has single points of failure that like personal vendettas could completely ruin the effectiveness of the product wasn't really the right thing to do. Because then like they, because somebody else had a bad time, then my team declines that order. Then that person calls in mad at customer service, goes on Twitter, X, whatever we call it today, and complains about it. And then we have a whole world of hurt because of some false positive situation. Dude. You're making all my points for me. If a, if a team is, is adequately trained and adequately effective 
at using the data and the tech that they have as a tool, as a tool, not an end-all be-all, not sole reliance on the tool, but to use the tool like a hammer. I heard this saying the other day, if you put a samurai sword in the hands of a four-year-old, what if you put that same samurai sword in the hands of a samurai or a katana in the hands of a four-year-old versus a katana in the hands of a samurai, yeah. right? So we need to build more samurais in our space. And unfortunately, the main sale, uh, the main value prop for you know fraud tech companies is we'll do it all for you. You don't have to use any type of, of language or you don't have to use any type of um, self-determination processes. We'll do it all for you. Well, you yeah. can't account for every single use case across every single industry, across every single platform, you know, uh, uh, established platform in the way that they're organized and the way that they they perform. I do, do loving it. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a, a one of the one of the main instant decision fraud companies um, years ago used to have their marketing being like, you could just lay off your whole fraud, your whole manual review team. You don't need your manual review team anymore. And then I remember people were buying into that. And I was telling people, I'm like, that's probably not a good idea. And then a couple of the merchants that came back and bit them in the ass <laughs> later, later down the road. But, you know, so in reality, we could go all day, um, but we can't go all day <laughs> at the same time. So I think we're going to come back and we're going to do an episode with you and Brian. Hopefully Brian will be on board with that. Um, I, I don't I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be. Um, and let's talk about like how how we set baselines for different types of of fraud manuals and education so we can keep the education thing going and let's just talk about it you know and then we'll just see where we go from there and let's keep doing this bros talking fraud because this was a lot of fun we could just I, I like the parts where we just we talk about just regular stuff too you know it's more it's not just so dry and fraudy people are going to hear all about me wanting to move to las vegas all about me buying houses now they're going to hear all about us talking about sushi you know so <laughs> and that'll, that'll break up the day a little bit but we have a lot of nuggets in here as well you know so let's keep doing these i'm totally down let's yeah let's let's make the schedule and make it happen captain all right well thank you again for jumping on here even though i literally texted you 10 minutes before and said let's just jump on and talk fraud and record it thank you for being open to that because i think it went really well <laughs> oh yeah me too man this was awesome it's great All to right. catch up with you you always man and we'll talk soon man <laughs>